Yeah, so if we just address that, that final point first, is that it's lifting weights to get bulky is just not really a thing. If it was, then every kind of generalizing here, but every lad ever would look as jacked as they wanted to be because it would be a case of I'm going to lift some weights, I'm going to change my body composition. Um, resistance training is required to change body composition, so if we get into the muscle building stuff, that uh, it's you just need to increase your volume over time. I think one of the things that I got really carried away with when I first started going to the gym was lifting as heavy as you could and lifting for as many reps as you can. And both things are, aren't very conducive to good long-term results because firstly, you'll, ne you'll never recover. Yeah. Um, your technique is generally suffering and it's just a really bad mindset to have. And like the more we kind of use RPEs correctly, which is rate of perceived exertion. So I got you there. Um, I think that say if you're building, if you're hitting a particular volume and you're kind of at an RPE seven or eight, as long as you're able to have the perception of how this weight is feeling and you're increasing volume over time, it means that you can still put adequate stress on a muscle group. Hey Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So today, in today's uh, podcast, we want to talk about some nutrition tips, exercise tips, uh, sort of training philosophy, cool. some aha moments from life. And <laughs> Jesus, so, a lot of them. if you don't mind, just to briefly go through your little background. How did you, you know, got to be a trainer, fitness instructor? Yeah. Cool. So my background is actually in management. So I was working for a chain of gyms. I kind of worked my way up through the ranks, ended up managing a facility and then um, had the opportunity to try out personal training, try out fitness instructing, which in all honesty, the fitness instructing was never something I wanted to do. Um, I think that was the biggest deterrent. I always had an interest in fitness, but um, thinking about getting on stage in front of a lot of people, exercising just scared the living daylights out of me. So. <laughs> Um, that wasn't really on the radar, but I, I got a little bit of a nudge into doing it and then I haven't really looked back since. So since then, fitness instructing is something I do more so than personal training now. Um, but I still have personal training element as well as some online elements of my business. So that's kind of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Instruct PT and online. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I remember you when you just did a conversion that we were working together. Yeah. And I remember how quickly you got the coaching of the trip class. I was <laughs> like, what the heck this guy is doing? What I was learning for like one or two years. He done it in two weeks. I'm like, what? I so I, you definitely have some talent on talking people through the workout, which is cool. So what will be your favorite type of exercise? Um, I predominantly and actually exclusively now just teach spin it's uh it's just one of those things that i feel like anyone can do and that you can really progress to a stage where the numbers start to matter so funnily the way i got into it was when in westwood there was virtual classes on there was les mills rpm and because it was a virtual class and no one attended i could just rock in whenever i wanted and kind of the place myself and you kind of felt like no one was watching and that was the part that kind of, I suppose, the bit that I really wasn't keen on to ever start going into doing any classes in the first place is that I didn't want any eyes on you. Because when you're new, the last thing you want to do is go into a room full of people and have to do something that's completely foreign to you. 
but uh yeah so that's how i started on that and then like i said i got a bit of a nudge into instructing um more of a kick but uh that was yeah karen polly tina bowles probably pushed me into something that has ended up being one of the best things that's ever happened to me um because i simply wouldn't know what i liked instructing and uh since then it's kind of just taken off and gone from strength to strength from teaching quite a lot of les mills to, to now just a lot of spin mm-hmm. uh, and yeah still loving it somehow a couple of years later so it's great yeah and how do you feel when you do so much spinning do uh, what's the changes in your body that uh, happens well like i think it's all about management when you're doing the volume of classes that i'm doing you have to um, save yourself obviously big time yeah like i I don't like telling my participants, but some of them I'll be honest and I'll say like I'm only working 60 to 70 percent in some of them. In some I'll even work even less than that depending on how my legs yeah. are feeling. But it's really about tempering the amount of work and the amount of volume you're getting through. And I think my normal week is now like 12 to 14 spin classes, depending on how, how things are looking. Well, so uh, fit man now. No, don't have to manage volume. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. That's actually a really good point because when I uh, many years ago, I used to do so many classes myself and, you know, I calmed down a little bit. I do more personal trainings now. And I remember how burned out I was because I'd had to also go with the sleep. So when my sleep wasn't great, I was really abusing caffeine. And because of that, even when I pushed myself to finish the day and teach classes and motivate my clients, next day I would crash. And it would be, let's say you work five days and then on a you know, sixth and seventh day on a weekend, you're like a zombie, you want to sleep, you know? So managing volume is absolutely crucial. And knowing yourself not to being in the ego constantly, like I have to always prove everyone I'm the strongest in the world. Oh, big time. And I think because now, as I said, that I'm only teaching spin, when back in Westwood, when you were teaching multiple different programs, it's, you kind of, I I suppose you test it a little more. So like in body pump, there's a certain standard that you should probably teach to it as an instructor that you have X amount of weights that you should use. And whether that's going to be good for you in terms of managing volume or not, there's a certain appearance that you're trying to keep up with. And I think when it comes to spin, it's just a lot easier. I I wouldn't like to say fake it, but just to manage it is it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always recommend people when they just starting with the workouts, it's just, you know, just don't make it too hard. Make it just enjoyable because you don't want to create that sort of negative correlation to your training that it's always painful, it's always hard, and they're not going to see the results immediately. So you have to really get someone first liking to exercise. And if it's too much as well, I think it's just discouraging because not everybody is hardcore and not everybody is in the same mindset like trainers that, oh yeah, I can push through. You know, some people don't have the same thing. What would you recommend to your new participants? Uh, Just, as you said, just enjoy it um try and learn the moves i think again talking spin because that's where most of my time is spent i think even just with resistance people tend not to take enough and that's what disrupts their ability to kind of stay on the music so to speak so getting them to enjoy it finding the beat there's something weirdly satisfying about actually being on the beat of the music i think every class i teach is 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 based (laughs) around that yeah. Um, so it's just really about that. And as long as you have a smile on their face and have them coming back the next time, I think it kind of goes to instructors that you're, it's never your workout. You really need to understand that you're doing it for your participants. You're giving them an experience that they want to come back to again yeah. and again and again. So sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, Chris, what makes your uh, coaching different to other people? Oh, 
What's <laughs> your unique thing? Because I know you're always very cheerful and always uplifting and, you know, like you make people feel good in a class. Yeah, I think authenticity is something that is super important to me, as in it probably wasn't when I was first starting. Um, it was a case of I need to learn the moves. I need to be able to get people to move correctly and safely, which is all well and good. But I think nowadays, I think there's a lot more of my own energy, a lot more of my own jokes. I probably swear more than I should in classes. <laughs> there's just, it's it, it's my kind of dry sense of humor. And whether people like that or don't like that, at least I know it's that's what they're going to get. So if, that, if that's what they expect, that's what they get. Chris um, is on the menu. Yeah, and, and the music. So um, I change my classes basically every single class and um, it doesn't mean i'll have brand new songs but i'll at least Rotate. have a collection of brand new songs every single week mm -hmm. um so i think for in that regard i think a lot of people like the variation like it can be literally anything from what's on the radio right now to some really heavy house through to some <laughs> like 80s and i think i had some 70s yeah. stuff in there recently nice. too so um you kind of you have to teach to who's in front of you yeah. and i think that's yeah, yeah. That's very important and something that's often overlooked, especially when instructors have to make playlists at a time. I, uh, in my class and anyone in David Lloyd, I'll tell you, I, there, the plan is there is no plan. That yeah, I like rock that. up phone has to stay in the hand because yeah. of current circumstances we're outside and I have to, yeah, I can't <laughs> manipulate anything else yeah. for volume. So, uh, yeah, I literally just make it up as I go on David Lloyd quite a lot. They won't like hearing it, but, uh, it's, it's more fun for them. I enjoy it and, uh, they keep coming back. So that's the main thing. At the end of the day, it's exercise to music. So. It should be fun. Exactly. You know, we sometimes as instructors, we're stressing about, you know, not knowing choreography. I mean, I prefer doing freestyle because you don't have to think about those timing issues. But if, even then, I think we overanalyze. Even when I teach body pump, sometimes the stress comes in. Like, oh, do I know it? Because, yeah, even if you know it, you can still make a mistake. It happens, you know, like it's yeah. just so many it's just like 800 up to 1000 repetitions you have to know in blocks there will be time when things not gonna be right yeah and i think it's just like your experience as an instructor is just how you deal with those moments so you can own it you can tell the, the participants that yes i've completely fucked it am i allowed to curse yeah of course yeah okay yeah <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah i've completely yeah fucked it or else you can like try and cover it or you can go and do something else but it's more about how you react as in when someone's quite new the general reaction is kind of freezes, panics, and then maybe 20 seconds later we'll have a solution. Whereas the more experienced you are, even if you made a mess of it, own it, just Improvise. chill, just keep going. Improvise. Yeah, it's really yeah. not an issue. Yeah. Own it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's more fun. And they get like, you're not meant to be a robot up there anyway. Like they shouldn't be expecting that. And like a little, a few mistakes are probably part of a bit of personality too. So um, not that you'd want to be known for that, but I think yeah. it's, it's really no harm. I always keep telling everybody has different talents. For me, counting is not one of them. <laughs> I didn't think it was me either. In the very first uh, IMT, back when we were doing trip, Jess McDonald was taking us through it. And uh, it was on a bike and you had so to be So IMT, out. initial module training. Yeah, that's I guess, the one. For yeah. non-Les Mills people. I'm, also, I'm basically a non-Les Mills person now as well. Um, <laughs> but we were having to find like the beat of the music and I could hit it, but I kept hitting it with the wrong foot. <laughs> so like I just, and I, to this day, I still, it, like in perpetuals can be kind of funny when it comes to the rhythm tracks. It's the part that stresses me out the most where I'm trying to hit it with the lead foot. And for an instructor, the lead foot is the opposite to what the participant is which is all well and good when you're talking body pump and it's like, you just have to, your right and your left are different for one rep at a time. But uh, yeah, trying to hit it every single time with the same foot is just something that still baffles me to this day, but we 
I we won't worry anyway. about that. <laughs> we move anyway, so. Personally, non-issue. <laughs> um, on different topic, Chris, uh, something with uh, weights, exercise uh, in the gym. So let's say, you know, you have typical goals for guys or even girls build muscles, mostly guys, but and then the weight loss. So what would be your approach to muscle building, weight loss, uh, the aspects of weightlifting training? Yeah. And also the myth, what ladies think that uh, because you do weightlifting with heavier weights, you're gonna get bulky. Do you think that's the... Yeah, so if we just address that, that final point first is that it's lifting weights to get bulky is just not really a thing. If it was, then every kind of generalizing it, but every lad ever, would look as jacked as they wanted to be because it would be a case of I'm going to lift some weights, I'm going to change my body composition. Um, resistance training is required to change body composition. So if we get into the muscle building stuff that it's, you just need to increase your volume over time. I think one of the things that I got really carried away with when I first started going to the gym was lifting as heavy as you could and lifting for as many reps as you can. And both things are, aren't very conducive to good long-term results because firstly you'll, ne you'll never recover yeah um your technique is generally suffering and it's just a really bad mindset to have and like the more we kind of use rpes correctly which is rate of perceived exertion so i got you there um i think that say if you're building if you're hitting a particular volume and you're kind of at an rpe seven or eight as long as you're able to have the perception of how this weight is feeling and you're increasing volume over time, it means that you can still put adequate stress on a muscle group. I think that's something that I definitely didn't have a clue about. I didn't know how to program right. I didn't know what increasing any like sort of volume or load. I just knew load is just heavier and just lift more. And then five sets of eight was just a thing for ages for no reason at all, which is yeah, another story altogether. But uh, yeah, there, that's definitely something that I think when it comes to muscle building is overlooked by most people who go to the gym because there's no, they, they know what they want to work, but they don't know, they don't have a plan to do it. Yeah, um, just because uh, before we jump to the uh, other questions I had there, just to add to it, yeah, I used to be completely the same and I started uh, lifting weights when I was 12. Just felt I got the dumbbells from uncle and I was studying muscle and fitness magazines. I think I weighed the same amount as you do now when I was 12. So <laughs> I wasn't, had no muscle though, zero. When I was, when I was 12, I was 45 kilos. Yeah, I'd I say was, my left was leg was 45 skinny. kilos. I was really skinny. But what I was trying to say is then I also got into overtraining and, and pushing too hard. And yeah, I was getting aches and pains, injuries in my body as well. But now in the last couple of years, I realized the volume doesn't have to be as big. Intensity doesn't have to be as big because there is a difference between stimulation for growth and distractions of the muscles and, and tendons and joints and Definitely. so on. Uh, when I actually look even such a thing, this is a really big jump off the topic. But if you, if you look at marathon runners, I know a few guys who run like 40 plus marathons and they said, such a stupid, foolish thing they've done. And it was just obs <laughs> sorry, obsession. But sorry, sorry, marathon runners, but for someone who done it and now is limping because his both hips and knees and ankles are destroyed, especially hips. And he just, you know, can't really, he's just struggling now. So yeah. if he's reviewing now what he's done, I mean, yeah, you can do safely, but it's massive stress on your body. That's why, you know, going from one extreme, which is not exercising at all to doing, crazy marathons which is extreme so i would say even for that 
you know you have to be smart about it big time big time and it's i think that kind of tied in nicely with the injuries is it's just so easy when you don't know what you're doing to overexert on a particular joint that you're really not conscious about because at the end of the day when you first go to the gym you're only thinking about what muscle you're trying to work you have no real con- like concept of how a joint works what joints you're even using i think when you get to a point when you're starting to really think about how your joint works in terms of mobility and then applying loads appropriately then your training just completely changes yeah. and it's it's nearly more health focused but i think if we aim at health first and then want to improve aesthetic second is probably a, a better way at looking at things on a bit of a holistic level really good point there really good yeah and that's actually what i'm doing uh when i have a new client or if i have a current client that i know that they need help with mobility one of the simplest thing is just to get them to squat and go as low as you can how how far down can you go and if they start stucking halfway because of hamstrings or inner ties or quads starting to lock in and just not allow them in i already know that they have issue there so pushing them in the maximum strength in the gym would be just a bit foolish yeah i'd rather work them on a mobility and improving that strength gradually because most of them are more health conscious than just looking amazing and and i know that comes very slowly and gradually that's why it has to be consistent for many months before they start to see those results so to be able to train for a few months without getting injury that mobility is a good investment to prevent injuries eventually and mobility is the hardest thing to sell like it's easy to sell mobility to someone who's been injured because you can alleviate or remove pain but if it's someone who doesn't really suffer but you're still trying to convince them that moving better is going to be better than moving less better, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's just a difficult one because I think anyone who's ever done mobility work in the past probably does less of it now, unless you're really focusing on it, because it's one of those things that you kind of, you're doing for a certain amount of time. And then all of a sudden you're like, you get to the gym and I kind of just want to get into my workout. I might just do a little bit less. And it's so easy to just put on the back burner. Yeah. And I think, when it comes to mobility, periodizing it is probably a, a smarter decision rather than kind of having a set mobility routine that you're going to do every day. If you have a certain joints or even if you want to hit all the joints, but just knowing that you have this routine for X amount of weeks and then you can start to remove it slowly. And if you really have to go back there, then you can bring it back in. Um, I think that's just knowing that you it's something you have to do is uh, yeah definitely beneficial long term. And weirdly, on one of the points you made about squats, one of my favorite tests is doing an yeah. overhead squat. That's I'll do it with all my clients because you can see hips, ankles, you can see T-spine, shoulders, everything. And overhead squat, we mean yeah. holding a bar so overhead with, uh, and squatting yeah, with, in the dowel, with a dowel or a broomstick. So yeah, yeah. yeah, jump in, broomstick goes onto the head, they press straight above the head and then overhead squat and see how low they can go. Just pause at the bottom, mm-hmm. um, but definitely gives... That's very challenging yeah, for but, mobility. Yeah, exactly. But you, what you tend to see a lot of is anyone who is kind of rounded or particularly stiff through the T-spine, the bar will be pointing forwards. Um, and then T-spine, you can- thoracic spine. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's that's definitely one of my favorite tests. And like you said, to start with anyone, I try and get everyone, regardless of what their goal is, to be health seeking from the standpoint of trying to move better. And then once you can move effectively through different ranges with all of your joints, ideally, then we can start applying loads and whatever, amount to give you whatever goal you're looking for now to touch on that um, 
a ladies uh, weightlifting training and myth of getting bulkier you know i definitely know that's non-issue but what do you think if somebody is like oh i don't want to train what would you say to them yeah like absolutely do for health it's the best thing you can pro yeah it's probably the best thing you can possibly do um i think it's one of those that if you were to take what women see as their standard training and what men see as their standard training and just flip them around for half the year you're probably getting quite an effective training split across a 12-month period um but yeah, for any females, I think, yeah, like absolutely lift weights. You never have to have a fear of getting bulky. Um, it's not, it it can be a hormone thing. I think personal trainers are very quick to say, oh, don't worry, you don't produce enough testosterone, which is probably true because you're going to be four different physiologies a month. But I think anyone, if you're comparing yourself to either people who are bulky, who are females, most of them are taking steroids or they ha may have some sort of, maybe not even just PCOS, but some sort of like androgen, no, no, I'm not going to say defect, but just something that produces more testosterone. So like, if you look at CrossFit, a little for bit example, more manly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but if you look at CrossFit such. athletes, mm -hmm. generally they're like big upper backs, big <laughs> traps. And that's more of a hormone thing than probably just training on its own. So uh, yeah, aim for putting on as much muscle as you can and then see where you end up. Like it's not never really a bad thing to have too much muscle. It's easy to lose them. Yeah. That's also a thing, you know. Very much so. It's uh yeah, I definitely think the same. Like uh, like building muscles, even for weight loss, it has such a, a great benefit because of the damage to the muscles creates more afterburn. The repairing of the muscle fibers will cost fuel, so and more significantly than from cardio training. So that's why I always sell the benefits of, you know, your bone density, your elevation of good hormones and all that stuff comes in. But I, I really like recommending to do a bit of everything, a bit of mobility, a bit of cardio, a bit of weights, and also focusing on hydration, nutrition and sleep. So they kind of improve a lot of aspects of life rather than just someone goes to the gym and like, I want to build muscles. And all they see is that one sort of like, very narrow field of fitness and they missing out on all the other stuff that's why i like to talk to fitness professionals and you know discussing these things so yeah people can listen to the podcast and and, and just get some fresh ideas and yeah e expand their lives in a way i think what's important as well is to enjoy what you're doing and if you're doing something that you don't enjoy at least understand why you're doing it because i think the thing that's going to bring you back to the gym over and over and over again is doing something that you like. So especially if we talk weight loss in particular, just find that thing. And whether that thing is just going walking, if it's resistance training, if it's doing classes, go and do more of that if weight loss in particular is your goal. But know that for your composition, for your health, you should probably have some resistance training there. But having the knowledge that it's just an important part of what your what your process is, then I think People are a lot more, yeah, easy going about going in to do it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Is, are there any uh, nutrition ideas that you came across and you go like, wow, why didn't I do this earlier? Sort of like, I know you you told me as a kid, you didn't eat much vegetables. Maybe, yeah. you know, the uprising was different. And then what was your biggest wow? Why didn't I do this in nutritional wise? <sighs> Jesus, that, yeah, there's a, lot, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think counting calories is one of the things that I 
didn't do for a long time, but I, and I kind of got results without doing it, but I was someone who carried a lot of weight. So I think when I started tracking that kind of put things in a better perspective and it allowed me a little bit more flexibility. Um, I wouldn't want to come on here and say that, yes, absolutely tracking calories is the way forward, but it definitely gave me a lot of aha moments. And one of the ways I phrased it to a client the other day was that if I'm being strict on tracking with the intention of not tracking eventually, because that's where everyone should be, you don't need to scan every single thing that you eat. That's never the goal. But if in the short term you are scanning everything or putting in food retrospectively, it just gives you a better idea and helps you when you want to be mindful down the road. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, that yeah, tracking and counting calories was an exercise that, that I've really found very beneficial. I do recommend it as well. If I have a new clients and they, they want to lose weight, I'm, I'm like, look, learn this for a week or two, track everything. And that gives you that image of what are you doing? You know, like what's the volumes you might be 30, 40% off with your calories and you might still overeat, you know? Yeah. So for that is just give them that idea of like what 300 calorie meal is, what 500 calorie meal is and, and, and recognize a drink of alcohol, how much fuel that is. And then have this kind of caloric balance sheet and then realize, okay, how active, how active have you been during the day or during the week? And then just match those numbers and say, look, are you going, you know, forward towards your goals or not? And then uh, hunger is a good friend for weight loss. Yeah. The more hunger and more movement, it's really the solution in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, and just, just to kind of go back on that last question, that that was the, my biggest aha moment was because it, it showed me how much calorie or how many calories there were in different things I was eating. I think- For example? For example, like alcohol, biggest aha moment because I never would have tracked it. And I'm not telling people that they need to go and track it, but just having an idea of what that intake is like that's how it's very easy to wipe out your deficit from a week in one night of drinking. So it's like four drinks, let's say four beers would be like nah, one but, big pizza. Nah, but like when, yeah, but that would be like one about, pizza size, like 800 calories. But we're talking about like Irish people here who love a lot of pints. Like a, so a lot drinks, of my friends yeah. would, come, would go to the pub and like six to 12 pints is kind of where the range is, maybe <laughs> more. And then it depends on if there's afters, and that's going down a completely different and rabbit hole. And food as well, yeah. Yeah, so, and like when you really add that up, it can be like, again, the range can be like from 1500 as much as four and a half thousand calories. And excess, if, yeah. Non-essential like, calories eventually. Yeah, exactly. But For if, fun, fun calories, yeah. which people actually will have to carry. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's more that, there's a dismissiveness towards what goes on. It's because I've dieted really hard throughout the week and now it's my weekend. I'm gonna do whatever I want and there won't be too much repercussions because I've already had this really good week. But your really good week could have been making that whole deficit that you've gone and wiped out with your whole night of whatever it is that you were doing. So that's where people get a lot of headaches around weight loss, especially. Um, but again, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm backtracking again. Um, my biggest aha moment was for for tracking or to find out what, what was in different foods. But I think it really depends on the person. Like not all of my clients for nutrition are going to be tracking. Would it in an ideal world be easier for me as a coach telling like being able to see all the data and now being able to use that data and make informed decisions? Absolutely. 
but it's not going to work for everyone because not everyone has the time to track. It's a skill that you learn over time and that initial investment can be quite, yeah, quite a lot for some people. So it's depends on the coach. It's what approach is going to work best for the person. Cause if someone's working 16 hours a day, seven days a week, tracking is the last thing they need to do. So then you're going to be looking at how can I give them better habits so that they can create this deficit? How can they do less work so they can have life? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and then along with different habits, you can look at different eating patterns. Like, can I implement some sort of fasting? Can I switch out? Like, where's the low hanging fruit? Are they drinking in loads of calories? So then we say, you know, just switch to zero calorie options. There's always something with everyone, but every single person is very individual. And that's where it's important that the coach knows who they're dealing with. Chris, what would be your best tips of post-workout nutrition? It could be even protein shake uh, and, and some of the strategies people use. Do you have any tips on post-workout, uh, how to recover when you have two classes in a row, when you want to maximize, let's say, your recovery to get as quickly to the next one, full energy? Yeah, so two different questions. So one is definitely for, well, if we talk classes, if you're going one after the other, any time exercise is going to be any longer than 90 minutes, especially that's intensity based, but let's just say anyone who's training for a period of 90 minutes or more, probably worth having some sort of carbohydrate intro workout. Um, if you're a fitness instructor and you're moving from one class to the next, then you can very easily through, through jellies or through maltodextrin or something like that. It's just really easy. You get like 30 to 50 grams in something that'll just tie you over for the next one. Otherwise, you're probably risking a little bit of muscle breakdown if you're a bit glycogen depleted. Um, but then post-workout, especially for resistance training, obviously we need to make sure that there's an intake of protein. Um, a rule I usually use for per protein serving, depending on the individual, is something I learned on my course, which is Mac Nutrition Uni. I don't know if I should be saying that out loud. Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can cut this bit out. Um, is 0.3 to 0.5 grams of protein per serving per kilo of body weight so it's going to be for an 80 kilo individual you're going to be anywhere from 24 grams up to as high as 40 grams somewhere in that neighborhood that should hit leucine threshold which is important for muscle Five building grams isn't it uh, of leucine i think it's less than that. it's like two and a half it's, it's low is it yeah okay might have to edit this bit out because I, I can't say for sure. I'm not um, sure either. But, but like, but yeah. basically, if we, as long as you're hitting, like at nearly every body weight, as long as you're hitting that 0.3 to 0.5 grams, you're probably hitting enough and you're hitting leucine threshold. And that's what you need for building new tissue. So that's obviously super important. Um, there's, it's a bit of a myth that you need carbohydrates post. So like you don't, extra carbohydrates isn't going to improve your muscle building potential but it will give you energy if you have to have a second training session later on that day or the next morning. So that's where a carbohydrate intake would be, would be helpful. And then post-workout, you can get creatine in there as well. Creatine, I really don't mind when you take that in the day. It's just really important to have it with a carbohydrate uh, source whenever you're having your creatine. Five grams a day will do it. You can use some sort of loading phase if you really feel the need. But They don't really, I wouldn't, it's, no, they it's, don't really it's, think it's necessary no, anymore. No, it's, it's not. Yeah. Um, but I suppose it's probably worth, like, if you are really interested in your different levels, like of any sort of nutrient within your body, go and get yourself blood tested. Like yeah. it's like, why are you putting in these vitamins and minerals 
and you, if you don't have any sort of knowledge behind it yeah so i think i can't really recommend it enough and blood testing like get a referral from your doctor yeah. whatever that'll cost you is definitely worth its weight to get done um it's funny what those things show up so yeah, yeah there you go i actually got i had too much vitamin b12 when <laughs> i got tested back in yeah. yeah back in february and it was i was actually taking a multivitamin and i had a look on the label and like it was giving me four thousand percent or something a day of my daily recommended. <laughs> but it amount. seems like so. a B vitamin shouldn't be the ones that you can overuse. Like the, your body should regulate. Um, yeah. You know, like the it would be more fat soluble, soluble vitamins we should be worrying about. Yeah. But, but that's the problem with multivitamins. You don't know, you don't what, know. what you're deficient and what you're already in excess. Exactly. And then you, it's it's kind of similar example to class that is a one size fits all. It's the same like one multivitamin is like it's designed to this universal human, which exactly. nobody is. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. then we're feeding everyone on these multis. So, you know, like we have that knowledge of vitamins and minerals, do this and this and that. Uh, and it's all good, but then we don't really know. So blood work definitely is good. Mm -hmm. I also done mine and I realized I had too much calcium and everything else, everything that I measured was at the max out. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, well, you know, do I really need to spend this amount of money as well on supplements or can I just ease off? And it was a little bit in my head, you know, like you get into the habit, you wake up, you get in your, I always start with a glass of water and then, you know, I take my supplements with it and I have breakfast. So I just realized you also create habits of like constantly pumping that multi in, you know, exactly. I have all sorts of other supplements as well, but now I'm, I'm kind of more doing it sparingly i just realized i don't really need to i think when especially if we're talking multivitamins <clears throat> like you should always aim firstly to try and get all your vitamins and minerals in through food having variety in your diet is going to do that you don't need to eat every single vitamin or mineral every single day that's not how we work so it's yeah. really it's it's just kind of a bit pointless but um i'd say a good time if you were going to take a multivitamin is say if you are doing some some sort of um sorry if your goal is related to weight loss because you're probably in a hypocaloric state so therefore it's less likely that you'll be getting in as many nutrients as if True. as when you weren't in a hypocaloric state and then yeah so that's it's probably a good idea to get a multivitamin in i think and so. obviously and we'll say that blood work is yeah not something you have to do but it's just it's no harm knowing especially if somebody is really deficient in something and exactly. that can cause a lot of issues and like, fatigue, fatigue yeah. like loads of people that, that hits a, yeah. a completely I, I mean lack of certain uh vitamins can cause schizophrenia and depressions and how do you know what you lack you know definitely not lacking more antidepressants obviously yeah. you know but it's it's all related i'm actually studying a lot from functional medicine i watch a couple of guys on youtube doctors and talking about how they have the study cases there like great researchers out there and um, they talk about how through food they can heal people and it's uh, one of the big thing is the inflammation and it's that sort of like imagine that type of person who kind of have lack of sleep, goes to work, stressing in the work. Uh, it's, uh, the diet is mostly sugar and fried foods and alcohol. And, and, and it's like everything they do is it's, it's kind of stressing their body out. And then obviously it can cause all sorts of diseases and how trans trans transforming like that habit into something different can completely reverse certain of those issues. Yeah, I think... 
I immediately get my guard up a little when I hear like functional medicine and things like this because it's not a, too much of it is anecdotal and it's not so evidence-based um which is kind of my approach to basically everything um but I think when you look at a lot of the interventions that happen the things that you were talking about it was just that it's if you can really just affect lifestyle rather than even thinking nutrition for information just if you can get more active if you can sleep better if you can have some sort of mindfulness and it's very easy for people to just throw around the term mindfulness but actually giving yourself a break from whatever it is that you do if it whether it be your family or whether it be from work just give yourself a chance to wind down um and that's through anything that you enjoy like could be a podcast funny that could be, <laughs> <laughs> could be through watching a film it could be just going out walking yeah um but it's just really important that people try and make before you start trying to address nutrition is the magic bullet or medications the magic bullet there's so many lifestyle interventions you can try and make first that kind of again the holistic approach to things um i think that's that's really where the magic lies i think if somebody has uh, have uh, health issues and they really suffer you know like they should be looking at what's the easiest thing to change you know like as you said if you don't sleep enough yeah your body's not regenerating enough so you basically deprived of your life force yeah. that fixes you that's the first one the sleep is just absolutely crucial yeah you know? i'm completely on board there i think too many of us are chronically fatigued like matthew walker's book was amazing and i think a lot of people have read it or have listened to it and or or have gotten all the main topics and I've, i listened to a podcast he was on recently um and he said he may have been just kind of a little overstated in some of the things he said in terms of um just some of the points around like sleep medication and the the detrimental effects of i think alcohol per se maybe you'll have to edit this bit out because i could be wrong with it but i think that he's just brought a lot of kind of he's just brought a lot of eyes to the sleep component of health i think that's one of the best things that people have really like I've, i've ever looked at because something you do all the time it costs nothing to try and improve your sleep unless you want to go on track or whatever but for just getting some better sleep hygiene practices spending more time in bed looking at your phone a little less before you go to bed just really simple things yeah it's actually something i used to be well i'm still quite addicted to screen time and you know like i like my vr racing and which is extremely bright unless you yeah. drive in the night it gets me super excited as well because you really immerse yourself into racing and it gives me quite an adrenaline rush and then straight after that i try to go sleep and i go like rolling and it's like yeah. not happening you know no, they great. say i could for every hour of of that screen time after a certain time you need another hour of calming down so your melatonin will actually induce you into some sort of sleep state <laughs> so i'm like oops <clears throat> and then i'm actually tired and then it's also more likely you're gonna do worse um, nutrition choices you're gonna eat more addictive foods yeah. they're more for like a sweet sour salty more and, appetite generally yeah yeah you will eat more as well and you also your conscious decisions will be a little bit more like less conscious more subconscious it's like more addictive personality will sneak in and just like a whole avalanche of side effects from it and it's it's actually amazing when you do it right and you just wake up and you're like full of energy you know yourself in your field of work like as trainers the the only currency is your energy and how you feel to be able to motivate people and be there with let's say if i have six seven people in a day and i want to have all these six seven 
45s or one hours to be like for them and being there rather than like i want to sleep now yeah you know time. so energy for me is absolutely most valuable thing just how i feel yeah and i think we're probably lucky in i say look but we've kind of fashioned our lives in such a way where it is kind of health focused and that we can pick times that we sleep at i know it's not possible for everyone else like i have clients who are shift workers um i know a lot of trainers who have to get up i used to do it and five a.m the night yeah so um it's just how much can you do with your set of circumstances if it's working for you great if not how do you change your circumstance to improve yeah if that's something that you want to do because health isn't necessarily just your physiology it's also about what you get enjoyment from it's about what gives you fulfillment so i think when you look at that as a totality it's not yeah we, we could talk here all day about how to improve physical health and maybe some mental health but it's uh yeah it's, it's important to look at it from yeah a lot of different perspectives that's why sometimes you know like if if uh, somebody wants to improve their life they have to really think about why do they stay in a job that is really unhealthy for them like the the hours they work stressing out there might be so many other jobs sometimes we get comfortable and don't want to change our creatures of habit that's, creatures that's, of a habit yeah 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 so sometimes they even just to find a solution out of the life a life trap because we sign up you go to the job and you know you willingly sign the contract it's like okay i'm gonna work there but then we get stuck over there so sometimes it's good to just push yourself out of the comfort zone and that's something we both did went freelancing yeah last. so the COVID was definitely my big transformation because gyms were closed and people wanted to exercise and instead of needing the facility well hence there was none they had no other option than having the personal trainer training there online or or at home or whatever parks and and the 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 need for the gym was basically change for need for a trainer and exercise them itself and that was a big game changer and you know it's changed my changed my life now yeah i would say like the way it affected me was obviously the gym's closed no classes no clients um shocked to the system i think and everyone was in the same boat for the first like whatever 12 weeks or so that it was maybe it'll be you know in a couple of weeks maybe be another couple of weeks and it was just yeah pure madness you're talking about the first lockdown yeah the first yeah. lockdown like yeah. um well what things did you do for your like for your clients did you move online or what, what i moved online but the first lockdown it wasn't really clear how long it's gonna be closed yeah, so, so i wasn't doing much and i was gaming more sitting at home more it was march and so on i was eating more i was getting a little chubby i get a little pissed off of myself being a bit lazy and and look losing motivation and i think for a lot of people mentally the the lockdowns and the whole pandemic did a, a lot of stress because nobody knew when it's gonna be over and then you cannot plan your usual things you can't visit anyone you yeah. we were like properly like 5k lockdown you know but what I want to say is that when the second lockdown came, everything was completely changed because people didn't wait. They didn't want to wait another four or five months until the lockdown would be over. They immediately, they was like, I want to work out. It was after Christmas. So we were like straight after Christmas into lockdown pretty yeah. much. And, you know, there's the time when people put on the weight and they needed that mental health as well because there's less, you know, sunshine. We, we get a little more depressed even because of, of that. 
And so I, I felt like a lot of people really changed their attitude. Yeah. You know, as far as, as, as the, you know, income, a lot of people that I used to have as clients, they still had jobs and they were busier than ever. So the money were not issue. And then you have, let's say, a, a, a husband and wife, one or two kids, and they're all locked in the one house. They were literally uh, desperate to go out and do a workout. Even if it was like drizzling, rain, cold, they just wanted to go out because for them it was escape yeah. from sitting in a chair working, kids, husband, wives at home. And it's like people start to be irritated of each other. So having that sort of, I'm going out to exercise and it releases a lot of tension and gets you to good hormones on the right levels. And so you, you, know, you can't lose with investing money for your own sanity and health yeah I, I think if people have money having invested for personal trainings it's just it can be a game changer see i think when if we just kind of like jump back to the, the freelancing i my decision didn't come in the pandemic i was i'd already made the move pre-pandemic which has probably made things even worse if i'm honest um when i made the move to freelancing it was end of 2019 started yeah basically the start of the year 2020 so i kind of jumped into something where i knew i was taking a bit of a pay cut um i had no real fixed hours though perpetua did all they could to give me different hours um to make to make basically to to give me a living so i, I can't thank them enough for that and then david lloyd offered me another opportunity but going from having some sort of job security at westwood where i spent forever to moving to freelancing for it all to be taken away like three months later was definitely a bit of or two and a half months later was a bit of a definitely a bit of a kick in the teeth but um still think it's been one of the best decisions i've made um get to do more of what i want work less hours yeah it's it's definitely something that i really enjoy so I, yeah yeah it's fulfilling as well yeah yeah and i think True. in my opinion that's the way the fitness industry was trending obviously everything changed when the, the pandemic happened but i think now that we're coming out of things and things are opening back up and majority of the adult population are vaccinated and when things do properly open i think that freelancing and instructing is going to be something that won't go away yeah uh, it's only going to grow the payment in this industry is only going to get better um built through more competition with more boutique gyms. And I think just that model, we've seen it happen in London. We've seen it happen elsewhere. It's massive in the States and Ireland. I don't know if it's just Irish people are typically a little bit behind when it comes to looking after their health and paying for their health. But if, it, if London is anything to go by, I think, I think, yeah, being a fitness instructor is probably a good place to be. Yeah. But you know, for someone who is listening, who is in like nine to five job or whatever time is uh, for their work and they do, let's say this very robotic job that I hate, you know, like there's so much people can do. I mean, like we, we were not always into personal trainings and all that stuff. I had my own, you know, boring jobs, which I left because they were sucking my soul out. And I was telling myself, I had very comfortable, well moderately paid job and I could spend another 40 years like that and I was telling myself look 
would you want to spend 40 years like this? And I said, well, definitely not. So I was starting to seek something else and then the right situations revealed the path. And when I got into it, I actually was pretty broke first three years. And only now I'm kind of benefiting for the last six years from the fact that um, I stayed long enough and actually had a decision to be uh, getting better and better. And eventually I believe if you are getting good really genuinely good you will attract the right people they need exactly what you need and i used to have a life coach a friend who was telling me that you only need to be one or two steps ahead of your ideal client and this can apply to anyone to do anything so you can have a skill of fixing your computer installing software but you might have a neighbor who just need that stuff and you just like that's why the networking and 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 all the sort of social media is good for, let's say, people can show what they do. And then, you know, we, we sometimes might outsource something. It's like, look, I, I'm not too busy to do this, but I know that this guy, because I know him from Facebook, he s seems credible, he does this. So I think <clears throat> as we going through the ages, through, you know, to this, you know, 22, 23, you know, and, and we get more electric cars and all that AI will start taking over our jobs, basically, because they will be thinking much faster than we are. They don't get tired. They don't need breaks as well. They don't need to get paid as well. That's true. <laughs> That's a big one. So there will be also a whole niche of, um, you know, jobs that will need to be there as well. So I think if people think they are stuck in their jobs, my recommendations will be just to see what you can do, what you can learn. And if you spend, let's say, two hours a week in, in half, you will have so much knowledge about something that eventually can be a some kind of side income. As yeah, well. oh, definitely. And I think people have responsibilities. And I think it's always important to look after those responsibilities. And I think that's why people get stuck quite <clears throat> often. Um. But like you said, it's about putting yourself in situations, whether that's a course that you're doing, whether it's talking to people, whatever it is that you want to do that puts you around something that you have an interest in. And then if you can turn that interest into a side income and then that side income can potentially be a full-time job at some point, that's kind of the route you want to go. I think, I, I think it's very hard to just kind of fully chop off your legs and go and do something else like yeah. I wouldn't I yeah. wouldn't recommend that to anyone but I think if you're in a circumstance where you have very little responsibility and you're unhappy with what you're doing but you're on but you're doing it because you're getting a good wage is money really the thing that drives you long term there's probably a, a question you need to ask yourself I I know for me I would have been very motivated through my late teens early 20s i'm not saying i made loads of money but i'm saying that money was a massive driver in decision making um until i made a conscious decision to try and get paid for things that i like doing and once i started doing that started making more money i had a lot more fun doing it and i'm probably pretty fortunate that i was had the circumstance to do it at the time but i think that that doing something you enjoy and getting paid for it is something that everyone can probably find um yeah there yeah. you go <laughs> yeah. like in in our jobs like uh, just the fact that we are around so many people you know especially fitness classes because yeah. you have the whole group you know whatever 20 30 people in a group sometimes bigger obviously and not at the moment 
Not in the moment. <laughs> not in the moment. Uh, exactly. But uh, it's fulfilling for me. You know, it's it's interesting. I always learn something from someone, and it's good to make connections. And you know, like daytime. It's uh, it's a rewarding on its own. Yeah, and like the fact that you're in group fitness, that you can affect the lives of quite a few people at a time. There's something that's really fulfilling about that, and it's it's not even the people who you talk to on a daily basis because obviously they're getting value because you're you're having conversations and like you re, you you're getting value because you enjoy doing your job and talking to these people but it's the comments that you get that you're not expecting it's if you're if you've missed a class and then someone comes up to you saying oh I, where were you and you're you sometimes you don't know the name of the person you probably know their <laughs> face um or someone says oh i really like your classes i usually book when i see you on the timetable it's little things like that where just like i was having a really shit day maybe a few weeks ago and uh someone made a comment very similar to what i just said and like completely flipped my mood and i wouldn't really call myself someone who's like sulking about ever but uh it's yeah you're probably affecting more people than you think and that's we don't realize super that. fulfilling we yeah. don't realize that yeah yeah definitely so, and i think that's what also kind of filters into personal training and the nutrition bits like i really enjoy training and i like i didn't think i was as into how the body moves <clears throat> before but now it's something that i've been reading up on i've really researched a lot of and it's now really interesting to me but also nutrition like i think the only reason i got into nutrition was because i didn't want people to feel like the way i was feeling like i didn't want to feel the way i was when i was carrying loads of weight when i was really unhealthy um it was great going out and getting drunk every weekend and probably too often during the week. But uh, when you start getting the health consequences and when you really think back on where your headspace is at with your confidence, with your body image, um, yeah, they're dark places. And the more people you can help with that stuff, the better you feel. Yeah. And that's the exact reason why I do what I do. Yeah. Now we have, I think, slightly different um, approach from whole new generation of young people kids teenagers are constantly you know comparing themselves to these people on instagram who are literally posing for these photos always kind of like putting the filters and you know like this lady's going through all these procedures on their face and and uh, other places yeah and then th these young people start to have that kind of need to catch up with the trends and it's i don't think so it's very healthy no i wouldn't want to be a teenager now definitely not but it's tougher for them because they don't see the pre i'm 82 guy so i i we had no remote control on black and white tv i remember that the radio didn't have remote control you had to go dial in but i think we had the kind of like i remember the contrast coming from there and now having a a smart uh, smartphones laptops all the technology now helping us i i appreciate it but i think we have to be smart about not to be slaves to it but to be uh, the, the masters of it instagram is a highlight reel at the end of the day that's you're only seeing everyone at their very best and um, yes there's a lot of body positivity pages <clears throat> now but i feel like that's a little bit glorified to the point where there's a little bit of pushing. I, I saw a video, I sent a video about uh, fat phobia the other day. Um, and I've like no problem if you're comfortable in your own skin. And in fact, it's very healthy to be comfortable in your own skin. But I think when it gets to a point where you're pushing something that is probably going to be to the detriment of people's health, then it's something that you might want to uh, just kind of just just really think a little deeper about I, I again. We'll probably have to edit this out because it's going to feel like I'm having a pop at all the body image <laughs> people. So maybe, maybe let's not go there. 
but uh, I think just generally Instagram and like when you talk about procedures as well um that people have the option and whether you're in your teens or early 20s or whenever whatever age you are but if we're talking about that cohort of people because they're the ones who are getting really affected by social media then yes you can go and spend money on your on your imperfections if that's what makes you feel happy but uh what I would say is that you also have a unique ability to go and try and change things for yourself through lifestyle and habit. So maybe start there first. And if it's really getting to you, then maybe look the surgical route. I think it's just, yeah, it's very tough to aspire to something that's unattainable without surgery. Yeah. I don't even think about those things, obviously. I know people have had things done. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I'm, you know, not into that and I don't really feel like if I had a partner or friends like uh, I don't really think even I don't really think ladies need to wear makeups and all that stuff I just feel like you know like why would you bother with all of that unnecessary stuff but I'm, I'm very pragmatic I always try to be as sort of you know like what's the point just because everybody's doing it you know like I'm all about not to be one of the sheep really like yeah. if everybody goes left I was like okay see you on the right I side. think it's just Irish people generally or maybe this is just a generalized topic but like i suppose when you're younger you're quite like brand conscious and that's what sets the your your kind of social status yeah. and then going through your teen years that's more about body image and how you look and now that's just influenced so much by yeah. by instagram that this is what people that it's gone from having brands through to i need to look a certain way um and physiologically for some people it's just not possible so um i think if you can just compare yourself to yourself can you become a healthier version can you become a better looking version of yourself then by all means do it and again if that ends up being surgery though i wouldn't push it then yeah but you know i've been experimenting with different diets you know i've been reading and listening to different people different opinions and so on and you know like Every so often I, I want to get leaner, especially for summer. I don't know why it is. So maybe just because we wear less clothes and I'm more aware. I don't want to be looking the chubby one. I always aim for a bit of perfection since it was maybe 17. I was always, you know, like, I think it's natural to put on weight in the winter. I think it's, especially if you live in a cold environment, I think naturally our body is inclined to put on some storage and insulation, but then also it's time Christmas and excessive eating and feeding and, and that also have a like double effect on That's that. Tough, yeah, you hit the nail on the head like there. You, ha you have like a, a factor one, a factor two. And then, you know, like the, you know, it's kind of funny when people say the new year, new year resolutions, but I always felt that like new year is really good time just to that month. It's good just to start working for summer. If somebody put, let's say, two, three, four person body fat extra. So that could be extra two, three kilos of the fat. And then, you know, like that will be a good time to achieve that really good shape for spring already in summer, because it gives you enough time to not to stress about it and to do it smoothly and healthily. And, you know, like- I think it's interesting that you say healthily. Like, what do you mean by healthily? Not to stress yourself to the fact that you hate your life. <laughs> yeah, but like, this is, this is an interesting concept because I think, there's people see it as a healthy way of losing weight and a less healthy way of losing weight. What is sustainable weight, a way of doing it? And and actually some people would be happy to lose weight anyhow. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's healthy or unhealthy. Think, is there a pill? Is there a procedure? Is there a method? You know, well, if we talk about a non-procedure based, but if it's 
we all know the basics now. Calorie deficit has been shoved down everyone's throats at this stage, but it's how you're going to make that deficit. I think that purely, it, it kind of goes back to what we're saying a lot, is that it's very individual based. But adherence is going to be the most important part to any diet, is if you can adhere to what you're trying to do, then you're going to get your desired result. Now, whether that means you're in like a 200 calorie deficit per day exactly, which would be very hard to do for 10 months, or whether you're going to go super low calorie for a couple of weeks, couple of weeks of maintenance, go super low again, the net result is probably going to be the same, though your energy levels, your feelings of dietary fatigue will likely be a little bit different. But I think there's the perception of people losing weight really quickly and that it's something that's unhealthy is inherently wrong because it's just a different method of creating this deficit to get you to your goal. So um, I've, I've a client at the moment that has had some issues with her period and a bit of energy availability before, but she wants to lose weight, which is fine. And we're in a place now where we can create a deficit, but if, if she wants to be in this deficit based on her history, that's someone who I wouldn't, who I'd want to diet them on as many calories as I can. So that we're maybe losing like say, a pound maybe half a pound a week something that's relatively i won't say easy but it's it's very achievable however if someone is really wanting to go and lose quite a bit of weight and for example they may have some tracking experience or some experience losing weight then i kind of like the method of going really low if they can take it then take them back to maintenance then like make them go really low again and the reason i say that is that during this period of, say, if it's a two-week window where you're going to really push the diet, it's a lot more reasonable for someone to push for two weeks than is to sustain for six, seven, eight weeks. Get you. So if during that time you're going to be super adherent, then I'm all about that life. Whereas if, like I said, with an eight or a 10-week diet or something like that, it can be very easy for little slip-ups to happen or you'll overeat with the intention of making it back up again during the week, but it doesn't end up happening. And then your results get a little skewed. And there's a lot of research that backs up that losing weight in a quicker time period, not only helps with adherence, but actually longer term, it's shown that you keep the weight off better than doing a sustained diet over X amount of weeks. So that's very, this completely opposite to what a lot of people's thinking is. Everyone says, if you lose it quick, just put it back on quick. Well, it's not really that. It's just that you haven't learned to live at that body weight once you've lost the weight. And that's why you're yo-yoing like this. The habits so, also jump back to where where, where they were exactly. before the same your, patterns. Your set back. point is completely different. So you just need to and I'd give this advice to anyone who is losing weight. If you're currently on that on your on the way there and if you're in the process and the process being super important because you're going to spend nearly all the time in the process a goal is just going to be a certain time stamp in time where you hit this desired result so enjoy being in the process but if you are in that process and you're nearing completion then hopefully you're working with a coach who's going to put you into some maintenance or start to slowly put it back or <laughs> who's going to slowly introduce calories again um but just learn to live at that body weight. So if that means extending your tracking for a little while longer, just so you get a better feel for what it is to eat mindfully at this body weight, then do it. But just don't just go from diet, 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 holiday, and then diet, diet, diet again. It uh, it it's not very conducive to long term results. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I even did something like fasting. I did five days without any food whatsoever 
Okay. And I did a couple of three days and bunch of one days. I started first one days and then yeah. two day and then three. And then after a while, I lost so much muscles and I, I didn't really train in the gym. I was doing more like a cardio, uh, running, hiking and all that stuff. But I remember how, you know, I was just kind of testing myself. So, you know, like even the hunger, it's it's really a lot of it is a mental game. There, there's a lot of research on, um, on, on mice, for example, that if you have overfed mice uh, and you have the underfed mice, the hungry ones uh, live longer. Just be Period. careful though. That's on mice, not humans. Well, <laughs> that's the evidence based again, because it's like there's but, umpteen studies that are done in animals that are probably not applicable based on the dosages because like if that's what we go if you talk uh, aspartame or any sort of like artificial sweetener people are going mad nowadays saying that oh yeah but if you have that it's gonna ruin your microbiome you're going to get xyz in terms of gut issue but at the dosages that they were giving the animals it's like you'd have to consume boatloads as mm -hmm. a human so mm -hmm. yeah it's not so you'd be skeptical uh, about those type of information yeah. yeah so like in terms of any sort of research <clears throat> but like, this is something i was always kind of like getting the information and then be a little bit skeptical and i was like oh this is bad but then more i talk to scientists it's like it's always relative uh risk it's like yeah you have to have enough enough uh um big enough amount to make it toxic that's from Stephen Sullivan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. mentioned that a few times to me. And I didn't realize that because you have it in the sunscreens, you have chemicals. And he said, like, that unlikely it's the toxic enough or carcinogenic enough dose to make it. But when you look at the label, you like, oh, this is something with benzene, you know, and that's carcinogenic compound. So you, you then just start to be worrying about it. And you have always find something, someone somewhere says, this is terrible. This is going to kill you. Well, anything in a, in a super dosed amount is probably not good for you. And you can apply that to every vitamin, every mineral. Even water. Yeah, literally everything is like anything in way too much, Sleep is, too much. is going to be too detriment. Yeah, exactly. So that's why it's, it's very important as well if you are someone that looks at research. It's what kind of research are you looking at? So like, obviously we have a randomized control trials and our, our like systematic reviews. These are things where you really do want to take quite a lot of credence based on what they're saying. However, if some, if a test is being done observationally, I, I was actually talking to someone earlier about like the whole red meat concept. They were saying, oh, I'm trying to eat less red meat. And I said, why? He said, oh, well, cause they say it's bad for you. I've seen it on the news a couple of times. Well, I don't know, like do, do they quote the studies? Do they know like, the kind of cohort of people that they're looking at. So that's why observational studies can be a little misleading. And every single human has a certain bias to prove something or yeah, has yeah. a certain bias that they they think. So, um, and then, sorry, even after observational studies, then I'd kind of look at like animal style. Like it's, it's yeah, I think just super dosing anything. So what would be your major uh, kind of thing that you believed and then you studied more and realized uh, that was a bit of bullshit? You know, I've loads. seen I've seen loads as well. But what would be your like kind of kind of like I can't believe I believe this. Oh, this one, this one all the time, and I know this has been dispelled many times. But uh, just eating more frequently and often every three hours boosts your metabolism. Uh, yeah, utter utter rubbish. Um, it's yeah that that one really hit home with me. I I was convinced you had to eat like every three hours because then I'll start burning more fuel because my metabolism will keep going. It's just it's it's a pure case of energy in energy out i actually find out that when i eat less frequently i usually eat less calories 
and also you know because you have that longer hunger you have lower insulin and that is already on its own fat burning so from point of view of losing fat for example that longer windows between the meals could be eventually the more beneficial than eating constantly having some kind of elevation of your insulin which could be a problem but they talk about you know that you know that extra stimulation of insulin is always like if you have excess sugar in your blood flow it has to convert so yeah. you kind of stimulate you kind of like provoke that system constantly so that's why sometimes when people eat too much sugar with every meal and drink every sip they have a bit of sugar so imagine that that steady level of of sugar in their system and the and the need to pump insulin in and that basically is the insulin sensitivity that could be an issue yeah then. i mean like in reality the only people who need to look after insulin are diabetics so i think if for general populations if you're in any way healthy look at your lifestyle that if if you're constantly consuming like processed sugars you're probably over consuming food which is going to have a negative implication on your health and therefore potentially insulin sensitivity but is it absolutely imperative that you control your insulin probably not unless you're diabetic so of course yeah so in that case it's to control the food yeah but yeah. It, so so kind of rewinds the fact that if you just go and kind of try and eat, make better choices food wise even in terms of just your consumption like if someone is particularly overweight and they do lose a considerable amount of weight you increase your insulin sensitivity, for example. So it's like it. The I think rather than taking a really deep dive into these small parts of hormone production or hormone hormone usage, you can just really simplify it into lifestyle factors. And then if something isn't working properly, then go and get checked. Yeah, good point. Good point. Very sorry pragmatic. To, sorry to shit all over whatever no, you said. No, no, no. no. I, I actually I like the the kind of. Um, conversation of about uh, it's just not that we have to agree or disagree yeah. with things but uh, i think it's it's only healthy that we are expanding our horizon by having also different opinions because steven actually said that recently like uh, i was editing video and i uh, really got me like we we basically as as we watch let's say youtube and you find your topics that you got your education on you actually get algorithms where it feeds you on the same field of topic that you kind of reassure what you know. You're not actually learning new stuff. You know, yeah, that's why reinforcing. reinforcing that one belief, which might not be true, especially now during the COVID when people do all their research and all that stuff. We were talking how it's the, it's the danger that people start to be, you know, getting the information, especially on COVID now. And, and it's basically be consuming the information which is you know causing panic fear and all that stuff and how you know they're only gonna be getting more of that stuff that will reassure them that you know this is bad that is bad and that can cause the whole conflict and now you have these scientists professionals doctors who actually whole life spent studying and following the the most recent uh studies and they saying yeah it's safe and so on so it's the the fact that you know it doesn't matter if it's nutrition if it's covid if it's exercise you know like having you know like some kind of like broader horizon of information not to just yeah. take from one one source i think it's a critical mind that's what you need is that question everything yeah. and, and be prepared to change your opinion on things yeah be um, flexible exactly and if there's research to back up what someone's saying investigate the research like 
for example, there's a lot of doctors that talk on YouTube, but if I take a very popular one, like Dr. Eric Berg, I think, for example, I'm pretty sure he's a chiropractor. Like that's, it's not, you're not talking about like medical doctors in a lot of the cases. And these are the people that are running functional medicine. And like, it's, it, there's just a plethora of really bad information out there. And you're going to, anything that fits your confirmation bias, that's what you're going to kind of gravitate towards. And that's what you really need to be very careful about because that's why we have like a lot of anti-vaccine movements. And you, like you said with COVID, that it's people go down this rabbit hole and all of a sudden they're believing other people who they believe to be well-educated. And they're becoming experts themselves, preaching others as well about yeah, it. That, that's yeah, that's a massive issue. Fear so. is a big mover as well. Like exactly. It's, it's a massive. Exactly. And depends on where your headspace is at when you're affected by this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, just if ever someone's saying something, try find a reference. And if you don't understand what the paper says and you're just relying on this person, at the very least, check their credentials because it's, uh, yeah, there's too many people putting out really, really bad information but it's wherever the attention goes the money flows so that's where you really need to be very careful you can use that that was yeah. pretty good <laughs> i never said that before but that was yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah <clears throat> now it seems like um we're allowed to travel a little bit uh so yeah people will start to be changing a little bit of their lifestyle as well that they will actually be sitting in airplane, sitting more, maybe driving on their holidays, sleeping in different bed. I've noticed actually, I wanted to talk about it and now it just pop up into my mind that, you know, just the fact that somebody was exercising for months and then suddenly they stopped for like a month. This is a real life uh, case, uh, someone that I train and, and, and suddenly the glutes get very tight and straight ahead back pain. And, you know, so I think a lot of people need to also realize when they're changing lifestyle like that, even for holiday, sometimes that can induce massive pain in the back. Just yeah. the fact that just sitting constantly can also change the muscles. Yeah, I think that if you do suffer with pain, number one, go get it addressed, whether that's with a physiotherapist, any sort of medical professional, by all means, go and get it looked at. After that, develop a strategy that alleviates that pain. Following that, have some sort of strategy that you can go to whenever the pain comes back. I think with physiotherapists are generally really, really good. But you know, in our profession and when you're training, because um, we do get a lot of people that have been injured who have gone to physios before. Um, physios, in my experience, and I'm not talking about all physios, are really good at treating the, the pain and then for post treatment there's a certain number of exercises given but rarely is there progression and very often the client moves away from what the physio told them to do so i think it's up to professionals like ourselves that this person has the this issue they've been prescribed this by the physio but then we need to progress on from where that physio left them so yeah um yeah it's just super super important to have progression in your training and in your pain relief um, otherwise it will be something that will just come back because inevitably all these injuries that you pick up they're just a byproduct of your lifestyle it's very like not very rare but it's it's not as often that you're going to have just an acute pain from 
an accident. Uh, yeah, some something. sort of trauma. Yeah, fall. But yeah, yeah, in terms of like those niggling injuries, they're generally just lifestyle based. <laughs> so once you can assess or get assessed how to yeah how to deal with it, then having some sort of strategy in place by way of a workout, by way of stretching, that's yeah super important. Could be such a thing like posture and just the fact that you know we are in you know slouched over yeah, position on the whole down. thing leaning on my arms here because i don't want to get away from the microphone so that's why generally not like this as much yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. in fact i drive my car at the bottom of the steering wheel is where i hold it because it puts my shoulder in a nicer spot i know it's really weird but <laughs> i safe i was very late to the party driving so i uh I thought all the cool boys yeah. drive like yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. You see them with the like arm the, out like the window. Like, now. like this. Looks like I have a floating steering wheel and it's just driving itself. <laughs> so, um, I think the steering wheel is overrated in a way. Yeah, but again, you're trying to whatever amount of time. So if you're someone who is in a car for ages and you are resting your arm on top of the on, on top of the wheel, your arm protracted, like you, yes, you're probably going to have some sort of issue in your shoulder. Like Could it's be, just yeah. it's just standard. Like there's going to be imbalance everywhere, and no one should aim to be perfect be balanced because imbalance is part of life like that's it is you're yeah. meant to have a good side and a bad side so that that's absolutely fine however if the bad is giving you pain then go and address it yeah i had actually kung fu teacher back in the days so in slovakia when i was training wing chun and he was saying it's better to be master on one side than being average on both definitely especially when you definitely. survive especially if it's reaction based uh, you have to yeah. know which hand if you can write the same with both hands if ever uh, <laughs> artist when uh, they do paintings you know ask you know picasso to actually do masterpiece with his left hand you know i don't know if anyone would buy it but it just shows how it helps us to survive to be dominating one side excelling one side and put more effort into that one side yeah but i think also just being conscious of where you're weak like that's it I think it's very easy to let niggles go for ages and ages and ages and not be assessed. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, so it always yeah. just if you are feeling something, go and go and get it seen too. And if if you're not, if it's if it's something where you you're just a frequent gym goer and yes, you've been struggling with a little bit of knee pain mm-hmm. or a little bit of shoulder pain, I think a knee is a really easy example to go with first. Then if your knee is sore, look at the joints around the knee. So like what what's above it? I mean, muscles around the knee. Yeah. No, no, like what's what's above your knee is your hip. What's below your knee is your ankle. Do you have full mobility in both those joints? Oh, yeah. Because if you do, then all the muscles around your knee are probably working properly. And if not, then we can kind of focus on, actually, my ankle mobility is pretty poor. Maybe I need to start moving that better, in which case that can relay itself as relieving that knee pain. Um, and also, like once you have, if you're feeling any pain, just figure out why it's happening or yeah. when it's happening. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievably important. And then from there, you can go and, so what it. tools would you have then yourself as a trainer would you send clients to your physio uh, physio tra- um, therapist or would you be helping them yourself because you understand it i'll always ask them first so like anyone who's had particular issue that i you know so anyone who's had a particular issue usually will have gone to a physio anyone who isn't moving well and is feeling pain i'll always recommend either a physiotherapist or an osteo path um uh, i went to an amazing osteo this year i was actually suffering a little bit with my back and my pelvis just a touch um and it was recommended to me by a good friend rachel bolton and i went to him and he was he was absolutely amazing um and i think having everything put back in alignment really helps so i I'd definitely recommend an osteo however if it's someone who's just having a little bit of pain be it in their back 
knees, shoulders. They're the re- they're the ones you get more more often than not. I think knees and shoulders are the most and back. Yeah, no, knees, back, shoulders, but, back. but back. But as a byproduct of back is like T spines are probably like because when I say back, it's probably lower back. With it could be lower back. People. It could be upper back. It could be neck. Yeah. You know. But again, just imagine people do this most of the day, looking down on the screen. So five kilo, it's pulling down most of the day. Exactly. So that just like having a good posture is taking a lot of that. Not also. Uh, pelvic alignment like if you have yeah. an anterior pelvic uh, pelvic tilt and your belly is out your lower back is arched excessively your lower back will be all the excessively pressurized point yeah so actually having the muscles correctly pulling the pelvic floor can actually put all the levels above it into the right Definitely. position but again it kind of comes back to if you're feeling your lower back probably look at the hips well first of all look at where or where you're feeling pain and when you're feeling pain. So is it a loading thing? Am I in flexion? Am I in extension? When am I feeling the pain? After that, then I'll kind of look at, is it is the pain localized to a certain point? Obviously not a physiotherapist, but this is something I'll still do in an assessment, is 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 the pain localized to a certain point? So is it something that could be structural? Or structural? Is it something that could be structural? Um, and if if so, well then I, I can't do anything about that. I'm, I can get you to roll, I can get you to do some sort of myofascial release, but I'm, I want to send you to a professional for it. But if it's something that you're just kind of feeling a little niggle, then again, I'll kind of look above and below. It's how does yeah. your, how do your hips work? How tight is your T-spine? Can you move? And like more often than not, people are terrible through their thoracic spine. They're just so tight. Um, and it's one of those places that you don't really think about a huge amount because either your your so, shoulders are forward so for listeners thoracic spine that's just basically that kind of like a upper back yeah kind of area. like middle back middle, all the way middle, towards just below your neck well yeah. like yeah so you've got your yeah kind of like a shoulder blade yeah, area exactly, and, and exactly. That, that whole kind of like tension area a lot of people exactly, feel exactly so you say t-spine i think some people might not yeah, realize sorry. that yeah i'll yeah. always say t-spine for shorter yeah yeah um, <laughs> But yeah, just can, are you able to extend and flex through those vertebrae and can you rotate on either side? And that's one of those things that you can work on on a daily basis and it takes little to no time, but it's something that over time will make a massive difference, especially if you're, I feel like a lad is in generalization, but you see it in males a lot who love to do a lot of pressing for their chest. Generally, if their T-spine is going to be in any way compromised, you're probably not able to move your shoulder through full range. Therefore, you're going to be overloading at some point. And I think everyone I know has had an injured shoulder from pressing. So it's try and mobilize your joints first and learn the right technique. It's always you versus you. It's not how much you can do to impress your friends. Yeah, doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.